Digital Marketing Radio, episode 252, Marketing Automation for E-Commerce. Digital Marketing Radio with David Bain. Hi, I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, the podcast and YouTube channel for in-house agency and entrepreneurial marketers who want to stay on top of the latest tools, tactics and trends as shared on this very show by today's modern marketing masters. How efficient and effective is your e-commerce marketing automation? Are you delivering email at all the right moments? And how effective is your messaging? Those are just three of the questions that I'm going to be asking my guest on Digital Marketing Radio, episode 252. He is the founder of Runaway Collective, a marketing subscription service focused on marketing automation and film production, helping small and medium-sized businesses play with the biggest and best without the cost. Welcome to DMR, Rory J. Knighton. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a, I'm a big fan. Well, that's uh, an incredible way to, to start off. You get uh, five stars yourself for that uh, <laughs> reply. Um, may I just say that you can find Rory over at runaway.world. Uh, and that, that's the first thing that jumped out at me, actually, Rory, your domain name. What's it like having a .world domain name? Um, well, so, so those are called, uh, general top level domain names, if we want to get a bit technical here. Um, and I think a couple of years ago, uh, I think six years ago now, when I first registered it, I thought they were going to be everywhere and massive. Um, but they've not really taken off as much as, as I would have hoped or, or thought they would. Um, so you can get them for anything these days. You can get them dot shoes, uh, dot business, uh, pretty much any, any words you think of has probably been registered now and you can have it, um, dot film, anything you like. Um, uh, and I thought they were going to be everywhere, but people s- tend to still like the classics of .com, .co.uk, .co or .uk. Um, so, but I, I, I enjoy r- World because it's sort of all-encompassing. We do lots of different things here at Runaway. So I think it, I think it's it's a it's a it's a domain that that works well. I like it. I remember years ago um, running a website with a .biz domain name, mm-hmm. and I thought that was going to become popular as well, but that, that really, I haven't no. seen a .biz name for a whole long, long time. No, it's, it's, it's fallen back into the annals of time along with .net and things like that that are, mm. are not, not so cool, not so trendy. One thing that I thought I found it more difficult to do was actually rank a .biz domain in search engine results. So I mean, do you find it more difficult to actually deliver email um, using a dot world domain, or do you not use that domain to deliver email? No, it makes it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever for our, our email ca- uh, campaigns. Um, we have a slightly different uh, domain uh, for sendouts for email campaigns, but it still ends in dot world. Um, so it's runaway marketing dot world, um, and we do that for a couple of different reasons, but primarily just in case anything happens to it or it gets blacklisted or spammed or whatever, um, it's still separate from the main site. Um, but it's still a dot world extension. So obviously, we're focusing primarily on marketing automation today. So mm-hmm. how would you summarize the way that marketing automation has changed over the last few years? It's, it is it has evolved and grown at such a ridiculously rapid pace that I think many people don't even realize what's possible. Now, I, I myself am a huge nerd when it comes to automating things. I try and automate pretty much everything in my life to a ridiculous extent. I've posted YouTube videos about how I try and automate my life with uh, things like, I won't say her name, but a a certain smart device that you can talk to. Um, I I try and put it in everything in my life. And you can can automate pretty much anything you like. So I can say a certain phrase or a certain word to my smart device, and it will add something to my to-do list, and then I'll get a reminder about it. Now, I'm terribly forgetful. So for me, it's been an absolute lifesaver having 
automation, whether it's marketing automation or personal automation, it's been a lifesaver. And smart devices have really pushed the envelope with how that works. I can pull my phone out of my pocket. I can say a few words. And like magic, things start appearing on digital dashboards that I have. And it really is a game changer. And I think many people don't even realize what's possible now. You have things like If This Then That, which is like a recipe builder, and you can connect lots of different apps to, to each other. So you can have uh, Excel connected to Shopify, and it automatically import things. It, it's, it's really phenomenal. Um, and I encourage many people to go and explore and have a play, because you can really have some pretty life-changing experiences with, uh, with automations and save yourself hundreds of hours every single year. I'm actually receiving um, many emails at the moment, many outreach emails at the moment that are obviously automated, but don't read that well. And I always feel that a personal email, that um, something that demonstrates that they've actually maybe listened to a show. So if someone's reaching out to me asking, for instance, to be a guest on Digital Marketing Radio, then I want them to actually demonstrate that they've listened to a previous episode or I want them to um, engage with me personally. Mm. Uh, do, do you think that automation can any, uh, in any way really completely replace the personal touch? No, I, and I think in general, the automations that I use uh, and that I tell my clients or, or businesses that I work with to use are ones that are, are pretty menial, ones that you spend hours doing. So for instance, basic data entry that you might do a few times a week that take you a couple of hours, you want to replace that with automation. What you don't want to remove is the personal touch, uh, human to human contact. So so uh, I have this funny dichotomy in my life because I, I am, I'm quite sort of naturalistic and I, I like sort of barefoot running and that kind of stuff. And then I also am massively invested in tech. And so it's, it's tough to try and merge those two worlds together. And when you try and automate everything, that's when things start to go wrong. So you, you do still want to keep that that element. But then I would also sort of as a caveat to that, say, if you're getting automated emails that you're not convinced by, they're just not very good automated emails. So so we, for instance, as I give you a quick example at Runaway, we send to our clients anniversary emails. And the anniversary emails don't just say, happy anniversary for your one year anniversary, they will specify the project that we worked on together, how many days specifically it's been since we, we worked together, um, what, what they've used uh, and uh, what their name is, and we will use an image that's related to them. So if, for instance, we, we have a client that's really interested in golf, we'll always make sure that we'll use a animated golf image that, that's all automated. The whole thing is automated, but it feels really personal and unique. So the automation really to get the most out of automation, you've got to put the effort in. You can't just sort of set it and forget it. And I think a lot of brands get confused about that and think, oh, it's automated. I can just leave it. A little bit like with a, a Tesla car, people think that it drives itself. It doesn't quite drive itself. It, it still does need a driver in there to, to steer it. So when you talk about anniversary emails, are you talking about anniversaries since that you've done business with them or their birthdays? It could be a range of things. So uh, we do birthday celebrations where we give them a, a discount um, off their plan if they're on a subscription with us. Um, or we might just send them a gift. It really depends on who they are and what their relationship. Even uh, past clients, we still try and keep some level of contact with them. But we'll also do anniversary emails for uh, clients that still work with us. So a three-month or a six-month or a nine-month or a 12-month anniversary. And we'll pick out sort of highlights of, of what's happened. Now, this isn't my idea. I didn't really come up with this. I, I was inspired by EasyJet. They had a fantastic email marketing campaign where 
they were sending to their customers all the destinations that they'd been and how many miles they traveled. I mean, not great for climate change and a reminder of the damage you're doing to the planet if you've flown to a lot of de uh, destinations. But it was incredibly personalized. And they did that all through using automated data. So the destinations people had been and also destinations that people like them had been to with suggestions of. So, so hyper, hyper personalized. Um, and it's just fantastically engaging. So what percentage of e-commerce brands would you say are actively using anniversary emails at the moment? Uh, and uh, are many missing out on that opportunity at the moment? Massively. Um, and, and a big one for me isn't, isn't just the anniversary emails. A big one for me is the welcome emails. So many okay. brands just, just, they completely waste the opportunity. They just, they just, they fail with, with the first hurdle. Um, so so your, wel your welcome email is, is going to have the biggest open rate. You're, you're going to see at least 50% open rates, which is, which is huge, absolutely mm -hmm. huge. And many brands, including really big brands like Louis Vuitton or Ralph Lauren, they will just send a, an email that says, thanks for signing up, shop now. They won't do any kind of uh, engagement. They won't do a, a sort of a reason to believe in the brand. They won't do a walkthrough of products. Someone that does that really well is ASOS. I actually covered this on a recent YouTube video and I sort of reviewed uh, different types of emails like this. And they do it fantastically well. They talk about reasons to believe in their brand and why to shop with them. But, but many brands do the automations, but they don't do them well. I suppose it's a bit like, like you said, you get these automated emails that you can tell they're automated. So the goal with email automation is is to get away from it looking or feeling like it's automated. So you touched on uh, upon a welcome sequence rather than the, just a welcome email. What's best practice in terms of number of emails to send initially to someone? Uh, what's most effective? Well, I think it, it, it does depend on what your product and service is. It does depend on what you're doing, what you're selling, whether you're, you're, you're a software as a service business or whether you're a product-based business. But as a general rule of thumb, I think you can get away with an onboarding series that's one to three emails. Um, and I would say three is, is probably the limit that you want to send. And also the timing is really important of those. You don't want to send three emails uh, immediately or within an hour of each other. Over a set number of days is, is quite good. Uh, it could be every other day or one, two, three days in a row. Um, but I would say three is, is pretty much the limit for an onboarding sequence. And after they become a customer, is it generally accepted practice, reasonable, or is it against the law to carry on emailing people after that and perhaps even opt people into an email newsletter of yours? You should you should absolutely do that. Certainly not against the law. Um, you, sh you should absolutely bring your customers on board with you, bring them on the journey with you and nurture them. And, and what many brands and businesses they tend to do is they tend to focus on capturing customers, just more customers, more customers, more subscribers, and they forget about their current subscribers and they, they don't nurture them. They don't look after them. They don't reward them. And when I tend to work with clients, I tend to recommend the strategy of, of finding them and nurturing them and rewarding them. You've, you've got to try and look after your current subscribers, because if you don't do that, you're either going to annoy them or they'll disappear and, and lose interest. And then what's the point in trying to get more subscribers if you've got a terrible retention rate? So what's a good reason to keep on emailing people on a regular basis? And what kind of frequency is acceptable? <sighs> acceptable. Uh, that is a funny one. Um, it, again, it really depends on what you're doing. Um, some brands do this quite well. Some brands do it terribly. So my go-to example of brands that don't do it so well would be brands like um, MyProtein or, or any kind of protein-based uh, online shopping brands. They can tend to be a little bit too spammy. Now, for them, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter so much because they have such a huge database of subscribers, such a huge number of, of new subscribers. They're not so fussed about that. But for certain brands that want to 
retain really good quality customers and they want to keep them engaged and on board, you don't want to be spamming your audiences. You don't want to be sending them emails. And, and again, that's where automation comes into and in looking at activity levels. So one of the things that you can look at is, is uh, something, well, I call it um, hot coffee. It's not quite called hot coffee. It's called bring back campaigns where you have inactive customers that haven't been for a while and then they pop on your site after a couple of months of inactivity, offer them some form of reward whether it's a discount or, or other sort of incentive, those can work really, really well. But I think it's a really delicate balance in terms of how much you you email your um, subscribers. And I think a, a healthy balance is, is no more than once a week. I personally find more than once a week a little bit too much. And and some brands uh, do that okay. They'll, they'll, they'll do like a digest email at the beginning of the week, and then they'll do a, a summary uh, email at the end of the week, uh, like Medium, for instance. And that can work okay. But I think it's a very delicate balance in terms of frequency. And is it all about email now? Or do in-app messages, social, me social messages, MS SMS messages actually play a big part of it now, an increasingly bigger part of it? Um, absolutely. It's, it's been fluctuating. Um, so, so I was one of the first uh, to get really excited about chatbots a couple of years ago when they came out. And many, many brands and businesses and consumers alike poo-pooed them because they said they weren't interested in chatbots. But, but having a chatbot, um, for instance, on, on your website, I don't even like calling them a chatbot. It sounds horrible. It sounds a pejorative term. It's offensive to the chatbots. Um, having a helper app on your on your website is is fantastically beneficial because, as a, just a basic example, offering delivery information through your chatbot is so much more efficient than your consumer or your customer having to go through your website, find delivery info, find the information they want. Whereas if you have it pre-programmed into your chatbot, you can list all the delivery information and all they have to do is type the keyword delivery and you'll get the full list of all the delivery information that you're after. And that makes it a much, much faster interaction. And consumers enjoy that. They want that. They, they're happy to do that. It only becomes a problem when you try and automate everything with a chatbot and the, the end user, the consumer becomes frustrated and they want to talk to a real person. So again, it's all about balance. It's finding that balance of automation, how much to automate and when to automate. And SMS, that seems to be increasing in popularity now, certainly in the States. I'm seeing many more people yeah. um, opt yeah. into SMS updates. Is that something that you're seeing as an increasing trend here as well? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Shopify, for instance, as an example, offers SMS updates right at the checkout page, and you can sign up to that. And there's various different um, apps and, and plugins that you can get to help support that from a marketing perspective. People like it because it's it's pretty direct and it's to the point. So you'll get one line saying 50% off shop now, here's the link, or here's the code. It's pretty clean and direct. It's not inside another app. It's just a, a simple text that you get a little pop-up notification on there. And that can work really, really well when you're not able to offer someone to download an app and you, can, you can't send push notifications. SMSs work really, really well. People are much more likely to open uh, an SMS or, or a text than they are an email um, immediately. So, so definitely a big rise in that. But again, it's a balance of how frequently you do that and what is the value that you're adding? Are they going to be interested in what you're you were selling to them. So again, it's always looking at that balance. And does it make sense for you right this minute to send an SMS? Is it an important enough message? I should say to my uh, US listener, 35% um, of people that listen to Digital Marketing Radio are actually from the States. So when I say <laughs> over here as well, I was immediately thinking, okay, I'm isolating an individual. I keep on thinking about individual listeners when I'm saying things and uh, <laughs> regret saying that. So apologies about that. But uh, you, uh, anyway, um, what about time of day What are, uh, to, to send a message? Is that important or can you send an email at any time? Time of day and not just time of day, but geolocation, where they're based. 
what their opening habits are, are so, so important. And to sort of deep dive into that, you need to be capturing data. If, if you're not capturing your data with any kind of marketing activity, you are pretty much wasting your time because you're just doing a big uh, blunderbust, you know, shotgun a message instead of doing a, a sniper I was using a bit too many gun analogies here instead of doing pinpoint accuracy you, you're just sort of shooting all over the place so if you are capturing the right amount of data on your customers and you are segmenting that you can be hyper personalized with your emails and you'll find that many uh, many of your customers or subscribers they will open at specific days and specific times of day so for instance, MailChimp, the email marketing platform, offers the opportunity to do um, localized send outs. So you can send it out to the customer's time zone. So you can set a time zone and it will send it out to all your database at that specific time zone. And that is fantastically beneficial. But, but automating it isn't just enough to do the time. You also want to uh, employ other elements of automation that's related to it. So making it context sensitive. So if you are sending an email out in the evening, use an image that uh, in your header that is you know, relevant to an evening. So it could be a, a, a sunset shot. It could be a, a nice night scene of a city, whatever it is, make the whole email feel contextually relevant. So it's silly to talk about morning and breakfast and things like that and send an email at nighttime. So it's just making those decisions uh, in your automation setups that all make sense and are all tied together. And what about the messaging itself? Um, writing an email, writing a message is a skill in itself. Should you be thinking psychologically should be be thinking um, just just from a very informal storytelling perspective what are some of the most effective ways to think about when you're actually writing your copy well absolutely copy is is a speciality and i would i would implore in fact i tell every business that i work with try and get a copywriter um, because writing is a skill. It really is a skill. And there is so much that goes into good copywriting that it's so, so important to get it right because it can make or break your emails. Your 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 tagline, your 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 subject line is so so important to get people to open it. And then your 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 initial messaging, you know, how you address your subscriber, are you saying their name, what, what what are you what are you trying to address them with is so so important. So those types of automations it's important to get them right and it's important to split test them. So you should be doing some sort of split testing with your marketing automation campaigns and seeing what works best. But absolutely, get a get a copywriter on board rather than trying to write all your emails yourself. And it can go horribly wrong if you're trying to fully automate emails or body copy. I would totally advise against that. You can absolutely mm. uh, automate sort of the intro line, uh, the subject line totally with their name but I, I wouldn't take it much further than that in terms of body copy. I've tested out a tool called uh, conversion.ai, um, Jarvis, recently, about um, a tool to actually write copy, um, sales copy, web copy. Um, how close to is AI at uh, being able to write decent decent English in other, other languages? Uh, probably another decade away. Oh, wow, um, okay. It's 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 really not quite there yet. Uh, it can it can fool you into thinking, oh, that sounds quite legit. You have like these these Twitter uh, bot machines that sometimes can string a sort of um, a good sentence together. I think someone created a um, a phony uh, Deepak Chopra uh, bot that would spit out philosophical nonsense and jargon, and you couldn't really tell the difference between <laughs> Deepak Chopra and this bot. Um, but it doesn't tend to work on a on a, a very generic broad basis it's the same thing with with uh, general artificial intelligence it's a very long way away we can create artificial intelligence that's very good at specific tasks but when you try and make it more 
uh, broad stroke, such as general writing for any application, then you're going to run into problems and you, you're going to end up with, with, with pretty poor copy and gibberish. Well, let's segue to part two of our discussion. So it's now time for Rory's thoughts on the state of digital marketing today. So starting off with... Secret software. So Rory, share a lesser known MarTech tool that's bringing you a lot of value at the moment and why that tool is important for you. Um, well, well, this, this, this might be a shock to some people. Um, I am, I've, I've been a big fan of Trello for, for about seven years, a huge mm -hmm. fan, in fact, but they've made so many changes as of late. I am now transitioning away from Trello. Um, and I found this fantastic app called, uh, Meister Task. Um, and it's very similar to Trello, but it, it, it seems to do all the things that I want it to do. So at the moment, it's a slow process. I'm weaning myself off Trello. As I said, I've been using it for nearly a decade. So I'm fully ingrained in, in their, their software. I'm trying to move away from it and move to a, a much simpler, um, more transparent platform. And MeisterTask is, is one I definitely recommend people checking out. Okay, good to know. Uh, I've used Trello quite a bit in the past as well, but um, I, I'm probably in the process of considering other options uh, at the moment myself to be honest with you because you go in there and you feel maybe wrongly that it hasn't evolved that much uh, no it hasn't evolved it's sort of devolved i would say um <laughs> in fact I, I had a tweet from the uh, founder or co-founder of trello because um, i mm. posted a video recently bashing trello uh, <laughs> and he wasn't right. too impressed um and I, yeah, I don't think it's evolved in, in the right direction. And there are many other competitors that are going to definitely supersede it in the next couple of years, like monday.com, for instance, is, is yeah. a very good alternative. I'll tell um, you what, the app that I've been told by a couple of people um, to use, and I have tried it and it looks great, is called ClickUp. I'm not sure if you've yes. tried that at all. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I have tried ClickUp. It is very, very good. Um, but that suffers from a, the opposite problem of, of Trello. And I think they've put a little bit too much in one one plan one app i think it's a little bit crowded in there but it's it's certainly superior to trello superb okay well moving on from something that you currently use to something that you're going to use so that is next on the list so what's one marketing activity or tool that you haven't tried yet but you want to test soon um there's a cool one called SendFox. Um, it's, it's, it's a little bit similar to uh, MailChimp, but it seems a little bit more sophisticated and it seems a little bit cleaner. Um, I'm also trying to wean myself off MailChimp. I've used that for a very, very long time, uh, I think well over a decade. And it's just not quite cutting the mustard. They've made some huge improvements recently, but it's just not quite right for me. So, so SendFox is a very similar all-in-one marketing email platform. Um, I'm a big fan of email marketing, if anybody hadn't noticed. It uh, it seems to tick a lot of the boxes for me. So SendFox is, is one that I'm seriously considering looking at. Superb. Okay. So I mean, I've used a few few email tools as well. Um, I started off with Aweber and uh, I ended mm -hmm. up getting one of the um, original plans that um, it, essentially I'm still paying for because it was such a good deal. And um, I moved away to email octopus for a while and um, email octopus was really good value because you could connect it to aws as well and aws did the um did the, the sending of your emails on your behalf but i've just found it slightly restrictive and actually i've moved back to aweber because i've got relatively simple needs but i, I guess it depends on how how much automation you want to do i used to hear a, re a lot of recommendations for active campaign is, is, is that what you've tried as well yeah i've tried active campaign wasn't a fan at all um again it it also uh, is related to your own you know personal preferences and your learning style so for instance i'm dyslexic 
And when things look a very sort of linear, structured way, like a big Excel sheet, it's not for me. I'm a very mm. visual person. I, I like things to be big and obvious where they are. Um, yeah. I've worked in design a long time, so I like things that are very aesthetically pleasing. If apps look like Microsoft Excel, I tend to run a mile. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that, Aweber hasn't moved on enough. I think they've improved a little bit um, recently. I, I also used Autopilot, Autopilot HQ. Mm -hmm. They're, they're yes. now called Autopilot. And... Uh, that that was back maybe four or five years ago when I started using them, and visually that they were such a wonderful experience. And when a software tool is fun to use, and you use it more, I guess you educate yourself more on what you can do with it. Uh, absolutely, when when a tool becomes visceral and you can click and drag things and move things around, and there's that sort of kinetic uh, vibe there, absolutely, so much more rewarding than than a, a flat linear app. Oh, let's move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Just two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much. And you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion, so use it wisely. Are you ready? Yes. TikTok or Twitter? TikTok. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. YouTube or podcast? Oh, both. Traffic or leads? Traffic. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Ads or influencers? Ads. Google ads or Facebook ads? Facebook ads. Email marketing or chat marketing? Email marketing. Martech stack or all-in-one platform? All-in-one platform. One-to-one -one or scale? One-to-one. Oh, you got through it um, with just using the one both. I, I I was surprised actually by the the one to one instead of scale because you're a man that um, specialises in autom marketing automation. What, why do you say one to one there? Because you can't beat one to one. Um, I, I think it is unbeatable. Um, I love to do things at scale and and to see how you can grow things and expand things. But you, as I said earlier, I've got that dichotomy between sort of the tech world and, and sort of the the human connected face-to-face -face world uh and i think yeah, you can't beat one-to-one -one. and you use your both for youtube or podcast why is that I, I adore podcasts i've been i like to say i was one of the one of the og people of podcasts because i've, I've been listening to podcasts before anybody knew what they were when when they were called netcasts sometimes wow. so, I, so we're, I was, we're talking about what, early 2000s yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i'm a huge fan uh, and i used to tell everybody about them all the time and people used to tell me i was crazy uh so so now i <laughs> kind of don't do. like no. the fact yeah they, they do they do I don't like the fact almost that everybody talks about it every two minutes. It's a bit like when I, I used to enjoy Apple computers when they were gray boxes and nobody mm. knew what they were. Uh, and they were called things like PowerPC 8500 before they were these sort of sexy things. And now everybody has one and everybody likes it. I like it less. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those funny things. And, and YouTube, I, I, I adore YouTube apart from sort of the, the, the Dacronian censorship that they're going through at the moment, as are many other platforms. I do love it as a platform for learning. It's just fantastic. The same with podcasts. They're both wonderful tools if used in the right way for learning. I'm obviously recording this on video and publishing the end video, the edited video on YouTube, and then using the audio for a podcast as well. And there's always a bit of a challenge between creating content for two different mediums. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's possible to be just as effective in creating content for, for do two different mediums? I think it really depends on what you want to do and what, what your goals are. There is that saying, spread yourself thin. Um, that does come to mind. 
I think if you want to do a platform really, really well, you have to be dedicated to that platform. And all the other platforms are just going to be add-ons or tag-ons. So for instance, for me personally, YouTube is, is my go-to platform. And then other platforms like LinkedIn or Instagram are sort of tag-ons where I try and create slightly different content, but I don't focus as much time on those platforms. I think it's very difficult to do all platforms well. So do you try and drive traffic from LinkedIn to YouTube? Yes, much to LinkedIn's uh, dismay and upset. So whenever you mention things like YouTube in a post or you, you post a link in a post that's to an outside website, they'll pretty much shadow ban it. Uh, they won't admit to this, but, but I've done multiple tests now on LinkedIn where if I don't mention the specific platform, mm. the post does much better than when if I do mention the specific platform. So yeah. it's things like that that really do annoy me. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I'm experimenting with things like that as well and taking maybe sections of a, a podcast or recording a little bit after, afterwards and um, then I'm taking the clip and uploading it as a native video to to LinkedIn with uh, with subtitles on it and I'm finding that that tends to perform a lot better certainly than linking Absolutely. to a YouTube video. Yeah, 100%. It's the same with Facebook as well. If you post a, a link to YouTube on Facebook, it won't do as well as a native video on Facebook. And, and that's been the case for a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it kind of encourages you to build a brand though, which is a good thing. So I mean, I can say things like, um, look at this content here on LinkedIn, you know, we're going to share this um, great um, snapshot of the discussion, but still provide value. And then uh, say at the end of the short video, check out the full episode on Digital Marketing Radio, and then hopefully people will search for that brand on their favorite podcast app or, or, or YouTube platform. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the best way to to attack something like that, rather than trying to do the same content on all platforms and just being lazy with it. If you do put a bit of effort in and mm. create segments or excerpts of, of your show, and I, I do that with my YouTube videos, I because some of them are far too long. I do 30-minute YouTube videos and walkthroughs, which nobody's going to watch on LinkedIn. So mm. I splice those down into either 30-second or two-minute videos. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the $10,000 question. If I were to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? It's a really tough one, that one, because there's a few things that I'd be very tempted to dip my toe into uh, with 10 grand, because I'm, I'm presuming it's no strings attached. I've just got the It's the no cash. strings attached, but um, it's theoretical <laughs> rather than definitive in terms of the, uh, the, uh, the hard money hitting your bank account. I I think it would have to be podcasts. Um, I think ads on podcasts seem to be doing phenomenally well uh, at the moment because you can be super specific with, with which podcasts you go after and which you target. And you can create a really tailored specific ad. And especially if it's someone like one of my favorite podcasts is um, This Week in Tech with Leo Laporte. Uh, when he does the ad, he does it. It's just a beautiful segue. It doesn't sound like this is an ad. It sounds really genuine when he talks about it. And that to me is so much more convincing than just running a, a, um, a voice ad or a video ad when you have an influencer or a podcast host talk about a product and they do it in a caring uh, sort of energetic way for me is just fantastic value for money. So is it possible to drive a podcast listener to a bespoke link to measure the success of the podcast ad or is it just something that will result in increased brand searches, brand uplift, and you can perhaps ask people where they heard of you after they actually make a purchase? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of ways to do it. Um, the, the standard way to do it is to give the the, the podcast a unique code that, that they give to their subscribers, and then they enter that unique code when they go on. You can also do um, the the sort of the 
the Google it or the search it. So if you have a very unique phrase or product, you can just get people to simply enter that into search results and they'll get straight to your product or service. The tracking of it is, is relatively good. If you're using a coupon or a code, um, it's relatively decent if you use that specific unique code for this one podcast only or for whatever set of podcasts. It's, it's pretty trackable. It's pretty good. It's not quite as good as, say, doing uh, in terms of tracking. It's not quite as good as running an ad with a link and you can track the whole uh, journey through that. But I think the actual effectiveness of, of the podcast ad is worth it uh, not having the super granular data on, on tracking. Are voucher sites not a bit of a an issue for that approach nowadays? Because sometimes when I've made a big purchase, I've searched for a voucher code to see if it exists um, and then use that code. And I guess that if you're to offer a podcast a certain deal, then that voucher code might end up on some voucher code website as well. Um, the, yeah, the, one of the best ways to combat that. Um, so I've worked with some really big food and drink uh, brands that have had issues like that. One of the best ways to combat that is to partner with the voucher code company um, and to give them a specific code for their customers to use. And that's a way to, to combat that is actually partnering with them um, or partnering with a, a Chrome extension like uh, Honey, for instance, where they go and search the codes for you. If you partner with them, you can you can broker unique deals for them that will protect your, your tracking and won't mess up your, your analytics. Great advice. Okay, well, let's finish off by turning the focus to someone else who deserves it. So that is a magical marketer. So who's an up and coming marketer that you'd like to give a shout out to? What can we learn from them and where can we find them? Well, well, this one's a little bit of a, a, a sneaky one because it's not just one. I'll say, I'll say the person, but they're sort of a team. So um, I, I've followed them on LinkedIn for the last couple of years. It's uh, Dan and Lloyd Knowlton of uh, Knowlton Marketing. You might have seen them. They do I, I know, I, I know them, yes, videos. yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and I've watched them for a long time, and I think they're absolutely Dan's fantastic. Dan's terrible at table tennis. No, I just say that. Um, for me, they're, they're, it's fantastic to watch them because I've watched them grow. When they mm. when I first connected with them a couple of years ago, their content was terrible. It wasn't interesting or engaging whatsoever. And then they really switched it up and started being silly and funny with their content and adding real value at the same time. So the the, the word valuetainment comes to mind. I hate that word, but but they really do bring value tainment mm. and and for me it connects really really well because i trained as an actor and i used to do funny sketches and make silly videos a long long time ago decades ago but i thought i had to put all that away when i put a suit and tie on and become a professional and they sort of reminded me that no you don't need to do that you can be silly you can be funny and you can still provide value at the same time so for me i i think they're absolutely fantastic i sound like a fangirl because <laughs> i'm always talking about how great they are but but they are they're really really good Okay, I might make that that a clip and uh, and share it online to see uh, what their reaction might be and uh, to see if Dan's improved at table, table tennis at all. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. That was episode 252 of Digital Marketing Radio, where Rory J. Knighton from Runaway Collective shared some great tips about marketing automation to begin with, including how you should have your own welcome series to begin with of one to three emails, have a reward for inactivity. So if someone hasn't actually maybe bought from you or uh, opened an email, email from a while, give them some kind of personal reward after two months or so to try and re-engage them as well. We talked about chatbots for doing things like delivery details and handling FEQs as well, um, localized send outs as well. So if you're sending emails out, sending them out, 
try sending them out in a specific time each day in each country to get better open rates. And we talked a little bit about AI copy and that being perhaps a decade away. So uh, you can't necessarily rely on that for writing your emails at the moment. Your secret software was Meister Task. Your next on the list was SendFox and your magical marketer slash was Dan and Lloyd Noten. Um, everything that Rory mentioned in today's show and more will be available in the podcast show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. Rory, what's the, the best social platform for someone to follow you and say hi? Uh, come on YouTube. Uh, just my name, Rory J. Knighton on YouTube. Come say hello. Superb stuff. Thanks for coming on. I've been your host, David Bain. You can also find me producing podcasts for B2B brands over at castingcred.com. Until we meet again, stay hungry, stay foolish, and stay subscribed. Aloha. DigitalMarketingRadio.com DigitalMarketingRadio.com DigitalMarketingRadio DigitalMarketingRadio DigitalMarketingRadio.com Digital